Feeling great. Check. Can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? Yep. Testing. One, two, three. <laughs> you like how your voice sounds. Let the music breathe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Been a long time, Mike Moore. It's been a long time. A lot of stuff has happened since the last time you and I were in this hallowed conference. <laughs> Wait, hallowed sound studio in the bowels of Northern Seminary? Bowels. Like, you got married. Sure did. How's it feel? Feels great. It was a hot day, 110 degrees with the heat index outside. You were there. Ah, uh, how could I forget? You, you partook in the Eucharist to celebrate our marriage covenant. I'm, I'm silent, <laughs> stoned on that one because, folks, well, hopefully we'll get into this over the next two or three weeks. But before we do, uh, this music right here, mm-hmm. I got a piece of marital advice for you. Yeah, lay it on me. Anytime you like, you and Grace are going to get into an argument, just mm-hmm. have the button ready. Click on to this, this song. <laughs> it kind of chills you out, doesn't it? Uh, is this what you do for your marriage? <laughs> no. <laughs> you have to start very early in that uh, pattern. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's good to be back here in the Griffith Sound Studio, which uh, a man named Greg Holesclaw built. Built it with his bare hands. Uh, by the way, I just call him Greg. Jeez. Jeff Holesclaw <laughs> built. With his bare hands, yeah. It's been a long time, Greg. I mean, Jeff, but we still miss you. Yep. Um, here we are. It's been a summer. This is our first Theology on Mission podcast. You mm-hmm. got married. You've gained sure about did. 10 pounds. I know. I'm looking good. You are looking good. Grace, uh, whatever it is, uh, keep doing it because uh, he's a better man already. Yes. But anyways, um, we want to uh, basically start off our podcast uh, season with a podcast on the subject of how does God work? How does his power work? And uh, I quoted Wendell Berry on my Facebook page, which, by the way, you cannot become a friend on my Facebook page, but you can follow my Facebook page, and it's about the same effect. But anyways, on that page, I said, I quoted the great Wendell Berry. By the way, comments on Wendell Berry. Jaber Crow. It's a great, great novel. Although at the end it gets really preachy. Sorry. Sorry. So. Sorry. Great great novel. Folks, I just want to say that I don't do well with reading novels. I try, but I don't I rarely get through a novel. <clears throat> Something's going wrong. Uh, we need to cough yeah. button. Cough button. <laughs> <clears throat> but Wendell Berry's Jaber Crow, I got through in about three days. It was just a fantastic read. It is read. a good read. And it's all about our culture, our culture of mass efficiency mm-hmm. and farming. And every pastor out there ought to read it because you will learn much about how God works in his church. It's also about the formation of desire. Oh, yes, it was. Mm-hmm. It's been a while, but that, i got to go back and read it again. Yeah, it's great. Okay, now let's get to the topic mm-hmm. here. Back to the quote. Uh, the quote is, The big problems we have now won't be solved with big solutions, but rather by hundreds of people accepting local responsibilities for small problems. 
Hashtag Ben Sternkey. Sternkey uh, put that on his, I don't know, Twitter or whatever, and, mm-hmm. and I, I copied it. So thanks, Ben, for giving us that quote. Let me read it one more time. And then I would like you to uh, kind of riff on it for a mm-hmm. few minutes, Mike Moore, because I know <clears throat> when it comes to a riff, Love the you're riff. good at the riff. Love to riff. You're good at the riff. All right, here <laughs> it is. The big problems we have now will not be solved by big solution with big solutions. Rather, by hundreds of people accepting local responsibilities for small problems. Do you think the way Christians today sitting in a pew on an average Sunday morning are thinking we're going to solve the problems of the United States <laughs> by by getting the government to do what it needs to do? But that, that is the approach for most people in the pews. Big solutions <clears throat> for big problems. Big solutions for big problems. So All we need is the right guy. I certainly, by the way, we need somebody who's competent and, mm-hmm. and a mature adult. But that's not for today's podcast. No. No. But, yeah, our first go-to is what in the pew? Getting the getting the right person in the right political office, or if you're actually if you're trying to change the church, it's getting the right person behind the pulpit. Big solutions for yep. big problems. Or if uh, I was actually with, um, well, I was talking to a church recently, and for them the big solution was getting a new building because. They have a dying congregation. There aren't a lot of people in the pews on Sunday. We need a new, new building. building. We need $2 million in debt, and we'll solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Big solutions for big problems. I think the first, uh, often I feel like, uh, I won't mention my church, but often the first go-to when there's a problem in my community of Westmont, uh, whether it be, let's say, the bigger solutions of homelessness or racism. Yeah. Or um, <clears throat> some violence in the community. The big solution is to go and get the right policy implemented, yep. or to get the police force yep. corrected on this issue, or go to the town village ordinance committee and get something done about this or this or this. Big solutions for big problems. And I'm just going to play a little bit of a foil here. Um, that's that doesn't seem to be the worst thing to me. If you have a problem in Westmont around the policing, go to the police chief. Oh, so Mike Moore's big solutions for big <laughs> problems. <laughs> Somebody um, has to be a foil here. <laughs> we don't want to, uh, yeah, we don't want to dismiss entirely. Or wait, what about this? I was downtown Chicago last week. Sorry, I'm just jumping in here. Um, you, you better jump in okay, here. I was downtown Chicago jump. last week. Uh, and there's a group that was protesting the president's policies towards immigration. So they shut down Lakeshore Drive. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't part of that. I've, I've been part of a few of the marches in Chicago. What, what do you think about those? What do you think, think about right. the marches? Big solution, protest to a big problem. Right, right. So let's, let's try to go at that now. Uh, so there are the big solutions, and there are the small solutions. Or let's call them the government solutions or the local incarnational solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, um, I would like to differentiate uh, 
the way we think about big solutions versus small solutions. By the way, it's not entirely accurate to say big and small because I actually believe the small solutions are the big solutions. Okay, but having said that, uh, you know, in the history of the Reformed uh, Protestant Lutheran understandings of the relationship between the church and culture, there has always been a distinction between God's right hand and God's left the way God works, say, through his Holy Spirit, by his presence. Right hand. In between people's lives. By the way, most of the time that got interiorized so that Luther called it the work of the Spirit in the individual. That's what evangelicals did. They separated the right hand to individual work of the Spirit soteriologically. Soteriologically. What does that word mean? Like, Sal- salvation having to do with our salvation or sanctification. But the left hand is God's the way God works through, say, government, or, or uh, can we say preservatory mm-hmm. actions. One is preservatory, one is redemptive. That's another way we separate the right hand from the left hand. So I want to affirm that God can work just like he worked through Cyrus, in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. to accomplish some things that needed to be accomplished with the nation of Israel that wasn't going to happen otherwise because the nation of Israel was not actually open to the work and yeah. presence of God in their life. Uh, I want to affirm. I want to affirm there is a preservatory work of God through government. It's coercion, but it is never, I want to affirm, can I say affirm one more time? Mm-hmm. I, I want to assert it is never the same as redemptive work. So God can't accomplish his redemptive work through the preservatory uh, work of coercion. He can only preserve society. You're saying Cyrus was left-hand, preservatory. Yes. And Jesus is at the right hand. Can you impact the preservatory part? Because that's uh, like Wesleyan, right? That's mm, It's actually more Lutheran, okay. uh, but but... The holiness groups and the, especially the Anabaptist groups, played off it in various different ways. Provenient, provenient grace yeah. uh, is where the right hand went out into the world, but it, actually working in persons that are not yet submitted to Christ mm-hmm. as Lord or Christians. Uh, this was a little bit of a punch in the face to certain Calvinists who wanted to maintain the agency of God uh, through uh, predestination yeah. and the yep. sovereignty of God at work. And so that had Charles Taylor, I don't know if you know, in the secular Catholic. age, mm-hmm. made kind of a big deal about how that took the enchantment yep. out of the world and put it into the hands of, you know, individuals in what he called or what Aristotle called efficient causality. Now that everybody's sleeping, totally <laughs> going to sleep on our podcast, let's get back to what I'm saying. Yeah, preservatory. So so there's government is to preserve society, to keep people from killing themselves so that there'll be space long enough for people to come to Christ and his redemptive work in their lives. But the the point here is um, the most the left hand can do is preserve us from some of the violence that simmers in society. It can't redeem, restore, forgive, reconcile, renew, and overcome and heal the violence okay. in the world. So you say that the government is supposed to preserve, keep people from killing themselves. Yeah. The government is not supposed to be an agency of violence. Oh, no. Okay. No, 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 wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. 
I don't know, you took a, uh, either a right turn or a left turn. I think it was a left <laughs> turn uh, based on our typology I, of the reason right now. Um, so, so, no, uh, I am saying government can or does use coercion, even, you know, for those of us, this will take a long... We'll do a podcast on violence okay. forthcoming. Yes. On just on how to describe violence, but some of us would describe coercion as violence. Okay. So the government, in essence, uses something that, that is post-lapsarian meaning after the fall, necessary to preserve society, whereas the redemptive work of God is that the, you know, does not use violence. Great. So, you know, uh, recently gun, uh, uh, the gun control has become a major issue in our country yes. again after the most recent round of, of mass shootings. Uh, and uh, Christians, far be it from... Anabaptists like me to say no. The government should enforce gun control and preserve us from these kind of violent acts. But to heal what's actually going on, the hate and the and the violence and the um, the bigotry and all the other things going on, that's not going to be solved by more gun control. Mm-hmm. Christians have to be involved in the small places. So again, just to repeat, Wendell Berry, ladies and gentlemen, the big problems we have now won't be solved with big solutions. Rather, by hundreds of people accepting local responsibilities for small problems. And the big problem that we're talking about right now, or you were mentioning, was gun control. So uh, I just you... use that as an example. Okay, gotcha. So, so my point is this. Uh, I think too often churches, I'd like to hear your response to this, mm-hmm. Mike Moore. Too often churches, too often pastors, too often church people sitting in the pew and never challenged uh, think that we're going to solve the problems of this world through the voting booth. And I suggest a strong no. We are going to challenge. God is going to work in culture and in society by people inhabiting the places of hurt, pain, and brokenness in the world, in our in our neighborhoods. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You agree with it 100%? Yeah. What I, about what I said about the average person sitting in the pew is not being led well by our pastors if they just continually think, I'll just solve all my problems by voting for somebody and listening to more Fox News or CNN. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with that. All the way. We, I'm thinking about the gun control issue. I'm just thinking about two instances in the last week in our church. One guy in our church, his neighbor, had 60 semi-automatic weapons, rifles, in his house that they raided last week. Um, which is terrifying to think of. Um, but I think the way that it came to light was actually through, um, through neighbors building relationships and recognizing something was going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I guess I'm just, I, I'm drawing attention to that because I think the big solution is, well, let's just get the right person in office to make the right law, um, which I'm not saying it doesn't have any effect. Preservatory. But, preservatory. Um, but the way that this was actually, this problem was undone was through neighbors talking to each other, seeing some things through some relationships, through some friendships that had built and were able to recognize a problem before it, before it became really violent. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is why, um, and, and it, it goes even beyond the, 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 like the gun control issues or other issues. I believe that Christians need to be told, need to be preached, need to be proclaimed the gospel, that Jesus is at work in the world by his presence in and through those who have made him Lord and can recognize his presence. So when we go to a homeless shelter, there is preservatory work going mm-hmm. on there. We're preserving those without homes by giving them a meal, by giving them a place to sleep, by giving them a shower, by helping them sort out you know, things like job interviews, etc. Those are all great works. But I don't believe it's really going to do the full work of restoration, apart from Christians being present and witnessing to the fullness of Christ and all he wants to do in people's lives to give them uh, reconciliation, forgiveness, a purpose, a calling, all the things that Jesus does that when he has knit, knits every one of us into his body for his mission. So, so what else is needed? So I want, I want pastors when they preach, preach the gospel. And I want, I want people to get a sense of how God's working in the world and that everywhere they go, yes, there's good things going on in the hospitals, but until we go and are present in those hospital rooms, the full healing of a person will never be attained. They, they might get their leg healed up if they broke their leg or if they got open heart surgery, they might mm-hmm. have blood pumping through. But God wants to do a full work of healing in every person's life. Uh, all the way until eternity. So can we uh, can we encourage people, both that God is at work preserving society so as to make space for him to heal society? Let me just uh, throw out uh, uh, Matthew 13. You know, the, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like the biggest tree in the forest. Mm-hmm. That, that's the message translation. <laughs> That's the that's the apostasy translation. <laughs> the Fitch translation. Uh, that would he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest seed mm-hmm. that grows and matures among. He said the kingdom of God is uh, like uh, a harvest uh, with fertilizer that kills all the weeds and just grows up in a perfect uh, through. Uh, what do you call those? Those com- what do you call those Combines? planters? I I'm such a bad farmer, but <laughs> no, it doesn't happen like we plant uh, a crop today. Right, it's sown as seed among the weeds and a, grows up slowly. Yeah. It's a treasure in a field. It's, it's a treasure hidden in a field. It's not obvious, and so we have to go. Uh, I think what Jesus is trying to teach us is the kingdom takes place in the small nooks and crannies and places as we go inhabit and be witnesses to His presence at work. Yeah. So, can we, um, can we cultivate these small? presences, these places, uh, tables. In our church, um, you know, uh, I have a group of people that go to Uptown Bar on Thursday afternoons, and we are planting the seed among the weeds. And I'm not 
I'm not basically saying everybody at Uptown Bar is weeds, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, Uptown Bar. I didn't mean that. We have people who uh, uh, meet in a bowling alley. We have people, you know, so other things like we're in the process of discerning what spaces God's calling yeah. us to inhabit. Like, like I, I just put out the hospitals, the homeless shelters, the prisons. There's a great place uh, where Judy has holds happy hour in her apartment building <laughs> every almost every afternoon. All these small nooks and crannies in the neighborhood, uh, the town hall village ordinance committee. Uh, uh, these are the places we must inhabit uh, for to be mustard seed to grow and manifest his kingdom. Yeah. Um, I know things are getting kind of long here, and I've been talking a lot, good. but uh, I, I want to give you three examples. Okay of how this has happened most obviously in history. And these are books that you can pick up at your local Amazon internet site. <laughs> that really didn't make sense. Um, but one is The Patient Ferment of the Early Church by Alan Kreider. Mm-hmm. You read that book, yep. right, McMurray? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's kind of like a, a, a history of how the church cultivated kingdom in the neighborhoods and among the poor and among the everyday people and among the little children that were being discarded and how over 200 years shook the foundations of the Greco-Roman Empire. If you need any more proof than that, that this is the way God works, what more do you need? Secondly, Don Dayton's uh, Discovering an Evangelical Heritage. He describes all the ways the various holiness movements of Wesley, Finney, Phoebe Palmer, William Booth, Catherine Booth, blah, 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 how they started all these abolition movements and women's suffrage movements and and socioeconomic movements among the poor. And literally, a lot of these churches started among the poor, and a whole revolution started Mm -hmm. in this country, not with the rich and the powerful and the big solutions to the big problems, but actually by being among the poor. That's Don Dayton's Discovering an Evangelical Heritage. And then lastly, uh, read Charles Marsh's Beloved Community. Have you read that, Mike? I have not. It's it's an unbelievable—I just love this book. Uh, it describes all the little student nonviolent coordinating committees, basically little Christian prayer groups where people, white and black, uh, people of color, people, white people gathered together to eat and pray in the neighborhoods, and it disrupted Jim Crow of the South and led to the whole civil rights movement, including Martin Luther King coming in. I don't know if you remember that scene in Selma, yeah. the movie, where what do we need you here for? It's already happening. And kind of Martin Luther King had Jr. had to kind of defend, and this needed to be a national movement. But mm-hmm. anyways, it just shows things happen in the small nooks and crannies. Yeah. Again, you know, the big problems we have now won't be solved with big solutions, but rather by hundreds of people accepting local responsibilities to be present in small uh, um Small, what did he say? Problems. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, here's my question for you, Mike Moore. You're married now. Yep. You're you're starting a new pastorate, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. The West Side. Yeah. Have you asked me to preach or do you think about it at all? (laughs) They haven't asked me to preach yet. Really? Yeah. I preach once. But I mean, I'm not. I'm not like assuming anything. But it's a shared pulpit. Okay. Uh, I guess my question out there is, I'd like to hear your comment on that, on this. 
Can small churches cultivate small places of revolution while they're trying to be big? Oh, that's good. Can small churches cultivate small places of revolution, of presence in the neighborhoods? Yeah, I think if I think if you're trying to be big, you're always going to be looking outside the neighborhood, and, and by that I mean you're always going to be looking to attract, to attract, or you're going to be looking to another church or something else as an example for what you are supposed to be doing. You're going to say, "Hey, that right there, that's what we want to be like," as opposed as opposed to looking in your local context and say, "What what is God doing here?" So, what's your challenge to small churches today? Uh, my challenge would be, well, I'm thinking, I've been thinking about this for, for our church um, because we, we do the small, th- we do some small stuff really well in the neighborhood. Um, but I think the thing that we don't do very well is we um, don't look at our neighbors as opportunities. Um, spaces. Yeah. Spaces, opportunities, um, to, to be present with what God's doing there. So we're pretty good at the programs in the neighborhood. You know, we have like after school mentoring, we have a food pantry. Um, but a lot of it's program driven and it's small scale, but it's still program driven. Um, the thing that we have a really hard time with and granted, I've only been there for five weeks, so better be careful. I am. Yeah. I am walking on hollowed ground, but what I've seen so far, and this has been confirmed to me is we don't know how to be be in each other's homes. Well, by the way, this is not just your church; it's my church. Mm-hmm. We, we have to work very hard. We're, we've been doing this for the last six months again at our church, Peace of Christ, at, meeting as elders. Who's going to lead us into these various spaces, and what are the spaces going to look like? In faithful presence, I said there's got to be a guest posture. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's got to be an awareness of listening for the. For what God, and a trust that God's at work in the other person, and you got to be there long enough, long enough, six yeah. months to a year, to really understand what's going mm-hmm. on, so that you can participate in what God's doing. Um, maybe we'll have a podcast on that in the very near future, maybe next week. But uh, one more question before we end our first podcast: Theology <laughs> on Mission, season number four. Is it five? Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my last question is: Can big churches cultivate small places? Oof! I haven't been part of a big church ever, <laughs> so <laughs> maybe you could speak to this. Well, you know, I have been part of a big church, and part of the uh, problem of the big church is the machinery of the church and the way it operates with a vision towards keeping a machine going. And I admit, and I've had really great conversations with big church leadership, including mm-hmm. large church in Chicago, whose name you would recognize. Yeah, I know. And we don't <laughs> want to say it on the air, but... Sure. Um, and we sat around for three hours... And how do you change the imagination yeah. of the people and the church for we're not just doing this to come here on Sunday and or the other three or four programs you can sign mm-hmm. up. We're actually doing this to cultivate a presence wherever you live, yeah. whatever block you live on, whatever main street you frequent. And I think that's a big challenge. But folks, I believe this is the way of the future. We, after, the demo- <clears throat> after the fall of recent very large megachurches and the problems of leadership there, 
I think we are awakening that people want don't want to just come to a large building three times a week. They want to gather for worship, mm -hmm. but they want to cultivate presence in their homes and in their blocks where they live and in their neighborhoods. So hopefully, Theology on Mission season four and a half, this <laughs> coming year, we can have a few podcasts on yes, that. Yes, we will. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for today's podcast, Theology on Mission podcast. Uh, we hope uh, it's a podcast meant to bring the theology. Sometimes we get complicated, right hand, left hand. Yeah, yeah uh, that was confusing. Right, sometimes we get comp, but we do bring the theology to bear on questions of mission every single time we get in this studio. And hopefully, if you've been blessed by this or encouraged or learned something, anything, uh, maybe you'll give us a review on the iTunes website. Please do. Yeah, we have some guests that we're scheduling here for we the got next some couple big... podcast. We haven't confirmed these guests yet, but... We've had casual Facebook interaction that leads us to believe they're going to come on. These are names that you will recognize. So I'm looking forward to our next season here, Mike Moore. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I think you're kind of getting a little more comfortable in that seat. Settling in, yeah. I feel pretty pretty much like I belong here. Yeah. I would – just one, one – uh, Tip? Tip, thanks. I didn't have the word. One tip, uh, tip that you might take from me. Bring a hockey stick in with you. Love to. Just put it beside you. Don't have Pittsburgh Penguin oh, never mind. written on it. And, uh, and I don't know. I'll feel a little more comfortable with you if you do that. <laughs> that Folks, good. it's been great. Uh, we will see you next time. Uh, Theology on Mission podcast. Until then, it's over and out. So long. See you later. 